Submarines in trouble. M looking for bond. Cozy cabins. Beautiful women you cannot trust. Skiers, mountains, cliffs, rifles and pistols, and thousand foot drops. Join us as we decode the pre-title sequence in The Spy Who Loved Me. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. Tom Pizzato. I'm Vicky Hodges. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Join us here on our Cracking the Code of Spy Movies as we decode the scenes and hidden connections here in the Spy Who Loved Me's pre-title sequence. Let's go. In what many believe to be the best pre-title sequence in any Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me gives good reason for so many fans to believe this. This could be the best James Bond pre-title sequence for sure. We think it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I like the pre-title sequence in Goldfinger Battle. I like that too. This, this is a very good one, and I love the ending of it. Yeah. I just like Goldfinger's a little bit better. Yeah. And I'm just going to pipe in that I like The World Is Not Enough. That's my favorite, but this is my second favorite okay, pre-title all right. sequence. All right, cool. So we see why a lot of fans love this one, right? We all do too. All right, Despite Love Me is one of our top three uh, Roger Moore outings as Bond, and movie had several Oscar nominations as well. So that's pretty cool. This pre-titled sequence is big. <laughs> Ian Productions did not do anything small. Tom and I work for Microsoft. Microsoft never did anything small. You got to think big. These guys always thought big. And a lot of that comes from Harry Saltzman again who, along with Albert Cubby Broccoli, produced the first nine Bond movies together. Saltzman did all kinds of things to try to make a living before he got the Bond, and one of them was booking traveling circus acts in Europe. Yep. <laughs> At that time, they cut out the elephant acts, primarily because elephants were so costly to transport and expensive to feed. They'd literally eat your profits. So, <laughs> and, and when they cut out the elephants, the interest in the circus from the viewer and attendees, it dropped dramatically, which led Harry Saltzman to develop his philosophy on movies and why Ian Productions leaves everything on the screen. Harry said, films were a show. Give the public what they want. Give them their elephants. I love it. And they've been giving us our elephants ever since. And this pre-titled <laughs> sequence is up there with the best. Check out When Harry Met Cubby by Robert Sellers for more info on this kind of thing. Very <laughs> cool stuff. Now, the movie opens up with a shot of a submarine in the water. We see the crew in a control room changing the depth of the sub. I mean, they're running a sub, right? We then cut to the crew quarters and we see coffee in two cups which starts shaking and we see ripples in that coffee. Some chess pieces are also shaking and the crew looks confused. Mm, yeah. Something is up. We don't know what it is, but we know it isn't good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hang on, Tom. I assume you saw the movie Jurassic Park. There is oh, a scene yeah. there where the kids are in the Jeep with Muldoon yeah. and the boy Tim is staring at two clear cups of water <laughs> and we start to see ripples and the cups are shaking as we hear the noise of the t-rex footsteps yeah this had to be inspired by those cups of coffee on the submarine in the spy who loved me yeah well, that's a great point i haven't thought of that hook and you know spielberg's a bond fan yeah yeah, so yeah. that's a great catch I, I bet you're right on that one yeah and i believe that they created it by a very deep bass note being played on okay. a guitar <laughs> that's cool <laughs> yeah I love it because it, it intrigues us again. What the heck is going on here? Ah, I love yeah, it. Absolutely, it does. So then we get these alarms sounding and these lights flash. 
And this emergency call is heard calling the captain to the control room. Yeah. That's usually not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. right? So the systems are having to be shut down. Loss of power is next. They surface the sub, and the submarine's captain looks through the periscope, pauses, and says, oh, my God. Yeah. We don't see what he looks yeah. at to inspire that comment. And I actually love the fact that they didn't show us. Yeah, I do, too. I was going to say that because we don't know what's going on. But yeah. we know it just got this guy to say, oh, my God. That's Something's good. up. Yeah. This and is- as we said in a lot of discussions about pre-title sequences, they set us up not necessarily telling us everything yet. It's like, what's going on? Yeah. You know, this scene with the power outage and everything, I mean, you always see these connections in movies. That's kind of one of the things we do here. And so all this power outage and the crew having the trouble, it's very reminiscent of the when the planes have a problem and go missing in queue planes, which we've done a couple of podcasts on. There are a few plot points in The Spy Who Loved Me that kind of mimic the queue planes movie too. So check that one out. Oh, absolutely. The two movies have some very strong similarities. And here at the beginning, we're seeing that they've lost power and, and communication yeah. and stuff, but we don't see why. Yeah. A little bit later, we see why, which is exactly out of Q-Planes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Except it's, except it's a submarine instead of an airplane. Yeah, you got to see Q-Planes. Great movie. Great movie. Yep. All right. All right. So, all right, let's keep going. So we switched to Captain Benson of the Royal Navy talking on the phone. You can tell he's a captain because of the insignia on his sleeve. He has one more stripe than James Bond, who we later see in the movie in military attire. And we know that James Bond is a commander in the Royal Navy. So anyway, Captain Benson is telling another captain that we've lost one of our nuclear submarines. I mean, this, again, is Not just, good. Like the, this, just like the planes and Q planes. Yep. There was a plane that was lost on a submarine, but we have the same thing. And they had to say, hey, we've lost a plane there. Yeah, yeah. Now we've lost a submarine. And there's even more connections with how it's lost, too. It's, it's uh, so... Check that out. Cute planes. It's cool. We then cut to Moscow as General Gogol gets the news that their nuclear submarine, Potemkin, is also lost. He tells the caller that he'll assign our best agent immediately. He calls his administrator, Rubovich, and asks where the whereabouts of Agent Triple X is. He's told that Triple X is at the People's Rest and Recuperation Center. Uh-huh. This sounds a lot like a Russian equivalent of Shrublands to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it that. Is. Then, yeah, this is just great. We see a dark-haired man in bed with a woman making love. He rolls over. Is this a new actor playing Bond? Uh-huh. Oh, I guess we're supposed to assume that this is Triple X based yeah, on the music they they're playing. The how would the press not know there was a new Bond? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, yeah. He tells the woman they can meet again when the mission is accomplished, so this must be Triple X. He must be the equivalent to James Bond in Russia, in bed with a beautiful woman, has to go to Austria for his next mission. Yep. Then the music box next to the bed starts playing and a message is played, and the voice says that Triple X must report to headquarters immediately. Yeah. So Triple X must acknowledge and verify. The guy gets out of bed and the beautiful woman presses a button and says, this is Triple X, message received and understood. Yeah. This is a great twist. The, the way they shot this, you could uh, you just assumed that the guy was Agent Triple X. Mm. And I think they that's what they wanted us to think. And I guess Bond isn't the only person who's a misogynist. <laughs> Maybe. I don't we know. all are. <laughs> Almost everyone watching would have been psyched out here. She is Gogol's best agent. She is the James Bond equivalent, not the guy. That's great. I love it. It's great. And I love to hammer this home even more. 
when the scene cuts to M and he finishes the phone call and instead of saying, I'll put our best agent, he says, (laughs) I'll put our best man on it. Yeah. And he hangs up, goes to the door, just like when Gogol called Rublevich, he says to Money Penny, where's 007? He's on a mission, sir, in Austria. Yeah. So now this other guy was leaving, going to Austria, and mm. Bond is in Austria. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, you know, <laughs> you've got this connection. And we know they have to have MI6 female agents because number three in Thunderball sitting in the chair rotation there was a woman. Yeah, but they that, I think that was just an actress because they said the words they used were gentlemen. That's true, too. And you don't actually see her in the movie. I think that was a kind of a still yeah. shot. It may have been like a setup shot where yeah. they were just doing it. But but anyway, it was interesting that they would have put a woman in there and said, hey, go sit there, you young man. <laughs> Whatever. But they did anyway. <laughs> back to it. All right, all right. Back to M and his response to Money Penny. He tells Money Penny, well, tell him to pull out immediately. Okay. All right. We've seen enough Bond movies to know that this line will not go unused for a little sexual innuendo. It just can't <laughs> oh, be. Oh, no, no, Dan, can't you really think that? What's, what's a sexual innuendo here, Dan? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, Dan, please tell us. <laughs> Let's figure this out and analyze it. This is what we're going to spend the next 20 minutes doing. <laughs> Never mind. No, just kidding. All right. All right, leave it to your imagination. All right, cut to a fire in a fireplace and Bond lying on the floor in front of it, kissing a beautiful woman who says, oh, James, I cannot find the words. And Bond says, which I love this line, let me help you enlarge your vocabulary. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's just a great line. Right. Good writing, guys. Good writing. So maybe he hasn't received the word yet from him to pull out immediately. <laughs> I don't know. He, he asks this woman for permission to keep going. So yeah. who says he's a misogynist? He's yeah. asking for permission. Yeah. He's getting consent. <laughs> All right. And anyways, as usual, this set here is gorgeous and beautifully lighted. When the camera pulls back, they show a cabin that they're in. It highlights a warm, woodsy feel. Well, you know it is yeah. cold outside. We can see frost on the windows. Yeah. And there's a crackling fire in a gorgeous fireplace that bathes Bond and the woman. Nice. It's just beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Also, if you notice in the background near the door... There's a large red backpack mm-hmm. and then a smaller one on the floor to the right. We're going to find out that that red backpack will play a very important part of this pre-title sequence. Yeah, the big one. Yep. Then we hear a chirping noise and Bond finally looks at his watch, which is a digital watch. Yes, yeah. digital. This was a high-tech thing in 1977. Yeah. And it prints out a small tape that says 007, report to h.q. immediately. M. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I love how they bother to put the periods in after HQ and N. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of sending these cryptic <laughs> messages. You're going to put the periods in there. Come on. <laughs> got to have your punctuation right. And it also, what really cracks me up about it is the tape that's coming out looks like it's from one of those Dymo embossing label makers. Not yeah. a watch. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's exactly the same kind of tape. It's like, ah, oh, in a watch. Cool. <laughs> Anyway, Bond looks disappointed because now he must pull out. <laughs> she And she almost seems disappointed as she says, what happened? Where are you going? Another great Bond line, or is it? Sorry, darling, something came up. Okay. <laughs> now, aside from this obvious reference they're trying to make here, yeah. you know, another sexual double entendre, <sighs> this line seems out of sync. 
Yeah. After all, he's leaving his lovemaking session. <laughs> yeah. I would think something would come up before they start. <laughs> yeah. This is totally. Totally, totally bad. This is a horrible line. I mean, the wrong place for that line. I mean, absolute wrong place for that line. Okay, I mean, it's just bad. When you look at Honor Majesty's Secret Service, when one of the angels of death writes her room number on the kilt-clad Bond's leg in lipstick, and Irma Bund asks, is something wrong? And Bond quips, just a slight <laughs> stiffness coming on. Okay, that makes perfect that. sense there. I love that line. That's a great line. That's great, a great line. Great line, great delivery, great timing for the line. Yeah. This line that Bond says here, no. Wrong place. Yeah, it, it makes little sense other than they wanted a follow-up to M's line yeah. about pulling out, right? Yeah. It's, I don't think it really is the right, right spot for it, but they just are keeping the theme going. Absolutely wrong spot. Right. So then Bond puts on his yellow ski outfit and this large, the large red backpack we, we saw on the floor there. But James, I need you. Bond says, so does England. I like that. <laughs> he opens the door and we see snow, ski poles, cold, mm, all this. Hmm, wait. Why does Bond tell this woman, I'm wondering, that England needs him? Is he giving away too much here? I'm thinking is he's on, he's on a mission in Austria, and he's with this woman. Obviously, he doesn't know her all that well. And does he know her? I don't know. And he says that. Well, what, what could she interpret from that if she's just a woman? Maybe he works for the government. Maybe he's a spy. Can he trust this woman? And I think, no. He should not have done that. He should have known better not to have said that even to her. Well, yeah, it kind of implied that he that she knew who he was. Yeah. But yeah. then again, it seems in all these movies, they all know who James Bond was. Yeah, everybody knows James Bond. But anyway, so I thought, yeah, you know, you're supposed to be a good spy. You shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. And he leaves, and she immediately, of course, picks up a device and tells the skiers who are outside that he's just left and... Uh, he, he, she says to them, he just left, he just left, over and out. To which the skier replies, message received, we are waiting, over and out. Now, the skier next to him appears to have a rifle. Okay, so these guys are not going to be up to any good, and she's in cahoots <laughs> with <think>? them. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think in radio transmissions, and I used to have a citizen band radio, which is kind of a little mini ham radio thing, over and out means something very specific. Over means I'm finished talking and I'm turning the channel over to you so you can talk. Out means you're finished talking and really don't expect a reply. So she says over and out. But then the other skier replies. <laughs> All right, it's a small thing, but I think she should have just said over. <laughs> and you think I'm oh, yeah. analytical. You tell me that all the well, time. This just struck that me. I overanalyze things. <laughs> this just struck me as wrong. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so far, the parallels between these scenes are fantastic. The two heads of spy organizations from Russia and Great Britain get the same message. Yeah. They lost a nuclear submarine. Ooh. Neither side knows that the other side is going through the same problem. Mm -hmm. It also means that neither the Russians nor the British were behind whatever is happening. That's true. Then the best spies for each making love to a good-looking spy. How <laughs> cool is that? Yeah, I totally <laughs> love the way they did that. The, you know, Gogol and then M and they're both yeah, in yeah. bed. And I just think that's great. Okay, so we've got the, the lovemaking sessions over and we end up in this ski sequence. Mm. And first... We have to figure out where they are. So after the title sequence, 
General Gogol tells Agent Triple X that her lover, Agent Sergei Barzov, was killed on a mission at Berngarten in the Austrian Alps. Now, I've spent a lot of time looking at this, and I can't <laughs> find a mountain or a peak or a town named Berngarten in Austria, or really anywhere else that matter. Hmm. It could just be it's a nickname for something, and I just don't know it. So yeah. if any of you out there listening do know, let us know, because I'm curious about it. I, I spent a lot of time trying to find Berengar <laughs> in Austria and couldn't find it. All right. In reality, most of this filming that was done for this sequence was filmed in St. Moritz in Switzerland at Piz Bernina. However, the ending of this ski scene, as we're going to talk about in, in a little bit, was yeah. filmed elsewhere. Yeah. So anyway, we see the ski tips skiing on snow. That's what we see. The camera pulls back and we see, hey, it's Bond. And then we see four skiers above him on a hill, three with rifles, one with a pistol. But they don't try to shoot him from there. No, no, these are Bond adversaries. So they're not going to shoot him when the shot is easy. <laughs> the leader with the pistol says, now. And they start to ski after Bond chasing him. And then they start shooting at him. <laughs> <laughs> While they're moving and skiing down these tough slopes, then they start shooting at Bond. Okay, all right, all right. Wouldn't it have been better to be stationary and aim your rifle, which the three of them had, and shoot Bond rather than trying to hit a moving target while you are moving too abruptly? Come on. Oh. I, never, I, I never think these goons never seem to know how to kill anyone. I know. How did they, they get this miss. far? Hey, wait a minute, though. At least they tried to shoot him. How many times have we said in these podcasts? That's true. Just shoot him. Right. That's true. This wasn't a convoluted plot from Blofeld that we see a lot. Yeah. This was, they were trying to shoot Bond, albeit while moving on skis. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. That part, I, I'm going to go along with you on that one. At least they shot at him. They didn't hit him, but they shot at him. That's good. All right, the yeah. closest... No, actually, before you go on, I want to make one comment about this. Yeah. Is this is yet another James Bond movie with really well-filmed ski scenes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, the, you know, Bond, they've got the, the, the film crew to be able to do this very, very well, and they do a great job with this scene. Yeah, just like uh, in Honor, Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. That was terrific, and that's the first Bond film were Bond snow skis. George Lazenby as Bond. All right, yes. the closest skier here seems to be just yards behind Bond. Not that far. In the next shot, he's hundreds of yards behind Bond. Okay, a little continuity issue here. But bullets are flying and the snow is popping up as bullets miss Bond, of course, but hit all the snow because there's a lot of snow around there and Bond's just this little guy next to all that. So <laughs> they can't hit him. Now they're catching up again and they're only a few yards behind Bond again. Can any of them shoot and hit a target? And how'd they get this far in their organization? I don't know. The ski, the ski chase scenes are fantastic though. Like Tom said, scenic, beautiful, sound effects, perfect on the skis on snow, the gunshots, lighting, the lighting is beautiful, sun, shadows, perfect. Really just perfect. Look at that when you're watching this. Beautiful action photography. Claude Renoir was the director of photography here. Fabulous. He did a lot of movies in his time, like The French Connection, Two, Barbarella, The Unvanquished. A lot of movies. He did a lot of movies. Against the backdrop of Bond music playing here. Wow. This is, this is really great stuff. I love the really. score here. I mean, they did a great job with yes. this score because it's got the Bond feel, but it's a little different, and it definitely fits the action scene we're watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. 
So back to this chase scene, you got the leader with the pistol. He's been the one in the hottest pursuit. And now there's a face-off. Bond turns around to face his pursuer and he turns his handle on part of the ski pole and this crescent moon-shaped piece pops up while the guy in pursuit is chasing him with the pistol and keeps firing at him, missing him, of course, well, several times again. <laughs> he, he must be reloading as, as many shots as this guy's fired with his pistol, unless maybe he's got that browning high power that holds 13 <laughs> rounds that they use in the man with the golden gun. All right, now, Bond turns, skiing backwards, now, these guys are all skiing forward. They can't hit him. Bond now is skiing backwards as he aims his ski pole at his <laughs> pursuer. The pop-up was a trigger, that little crescent shape. Okay, great. That's nice. And he fires one shot while skiing backwards, mind you. <laughs> and, we see a, and we see a white flash right about at the pursuer's heart. And he falls over, presumably. He's a better shot than these henchmen. Yeah. 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 They're yeah, much better trained at that, <laughs> right? They're much better trained than than these other guys in every yeah, part I, of the world. <laughs> I, I just love that move when Bond turns and fires. Uh, it's just a great stunt, it really is. <laughs> it is a good stunt. It's a very cool move. And the four mm -hmm. guys have been firing lots of rounds at Bond, and only Snow got hit. Bond, well, he fires that one shot and hits the pursuer. Okay. So there you go. And I always assumed here that the ski pole was a rifle, but there's a close-up of the dead pursuer when Bond hits him. And where the white flash was, it's like a four-winged dart sticking into his chest. I had never seen this before. I've watched this a million times too. And I always thought he got shot with basically a bullet and he's dead. So there it is, this dart is sticking out of him, and that makes his ski gun maybe a little more realistic to me than a rifle. So I like that. I like that It's part. good we do these podcasts, Dan, because you often, when we watch these things closer to do these podcasts, you pick up on stuff you hadn't seen before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you could look at these scenes when they're flying by on the screen, and you think, okay, well, he got shot. He's dead. Boom. They close up. It's not all that obvious, the dart, but when you look. Yeah, it's there, this four-winged wing, winged dart. It's good. Yeah. But Bond has only killed just one pursuer. He now has three more to deal with. Yeah. And as Bond skis backward over a hill and flips his skis right into one of them, knocking them all <laughs> over, the other two are firing at him, and the third is back in pursuit again. But wait, the camera pans backward, and we see Bond heading for a cliff with yeah. a huge drop. Not a hill to ski over, but like a 2,000-foot drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a good move, but this is it for Bond. Finally, the evil enemies have got him. They can't and hit him with a bullet. <laughs> this is better because later when Bond is pursued and he goes over a waterfall, they do all that CGI work. Here they're not going to do some CGI work. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. But we're worried now. Bond's going to die here. <laughs> yeah, the music is intense as Bond is about to ski over the edge into this 2,000 foot drop. Another and Bond movie where Bond dies in the beginning. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. And precisely when he skis over the edge, all goes quiet. Bond plunging to his death. Yeah. It really is one of my favorite moments in the entire movie. It is in sheer genius. Absolutely. It's like you go, <gasps> Yeah. And you're just waiting. I love that it all goes your quiet. Breath and you're they're holding the sound. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's great. great. Yeah. Well, we, we've talked Brilliant. about the benefits of having a score heightened tensions in other podcasts. 
and then not having the score can take it even further. Mm-hmm. And this is a fantastic use of silence. It's just the sound of the wind. No music, no nothing. Yeah. Just the sound of the wind. Yeah. And the ski chase is over. Bond's going to die in a second when he hits the bottom, right? Yeah. And it took over a minute and 15 seconds of screen time to get there. Oh, at least, yeah. But then we see Bond flip in silence and his skis come off. Yeah. And he's free falling well below the skies that are above him. <laughs> yeah. And then we see something pop out of his backpack. Hey, Q saves the day again. <laughs> that backpack was a parachute. Yeah. Not just a <laughs> backpack. And it's not just a parachute. It's the British flag, the Union Jack. And as soon as the Union Jack begins to unfurl, the mm. Bond music comes back loud and strong. Yeah, I mean, perfect. It's a just fabulous moment. Yeah. Bond does it again. Yeah, that was perfect moment. Now, I'm an American, but I can imagine a Brit seeing this in the theater, especially back then, and seeing that parachute unfurl on the big screen in the theater. That had to be just really <laughs> cool and delivers a great rush of pride for your country. I mean, that just had to be a great moment. Yeah, yeah. Now, as an, as an aside, the British flag was originally called the Union Jack when it was affixed to a ship, not in the harbor. Right, not But in now the Union Jack is the British flag anywhere, I believe. Is that right, Vicky? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we do see a parachuter with a Union Jack parachute in Die Another Day. Remember uh, the scene when Gustav Grave parachutes into the grounds of Buckingham Palace? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at that gate. Yeah. I've got to be honest, I think the ski jump was a more use, a dramatic use of that parachute. Oh, and yeah. for me, that scene when he does land by Buckingham Palace and he's surrounded by all those reporters is one of my most hated scenes in that film. <laughs> the reason being is, have you really listened to all the reporters? They all sound like they're reading off a script. Yeah, okay. All right. It's, there you go. You, you watch it next time you see that film. Well, they may <laughs> have had awful. their questions prepared. <laughs> I, I definitely think this it's is a not better... natural. It's not a natural. It doesn't come okay. across natural. Uh, yeah, I think this is a much better use of the union. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> this was just perfect. Yeah. Beautiful writing, beautiful execution, and well, wait a second. wow! You said beautiful execution. Yeah. If you watch this scene very closely, I'm talking about the one in the Spy Who Loved Me, not in Die Another yeah, Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to watch Die Another Day closely anytime. The shoot slows the fall, of course. But one of his skis reappears falling from above. Mm-hmm. And it actually almost snags the parachute. Yeah. And that yeah. was the real thing. I mean, they captured this on film, and this ski almost took this guy out. Yeah. 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 You look at it, and it's close. It's close. It really is. Yeah. So a little yeah. background here. When, <laughs> he, probably, when... he might not have noticed it when he was falling down, but when he saw the film, he probably was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When Bond heads for this cliff, though, he's still supposed to be in Austria, of course. This was not filmed in Austria, and this wasn't filmed in Switzerland either. Uh, as we were saying earlier, the other the scenes jump were filmed. You're talking about. But the jump was yeah. not filmed there. It was over this huge table mountain in Asgard Peak on Baffin Island, part of the mountain range named after the Norse gods and places in Canada up near the Arctic. So <laughs> they had to find this spot, and it was the perfect location for this. Now, well, it was Roger doing the skiing jump, right, Dan? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, hey, Raj, go out there. You can do this. All right. Of course it wasn't Roger, because Roger doesn't even like running, I don't think, too much. (laughs) But it was this guy, Rick Sylvester, who was deep into both climbing and skiing. So it was Rick Sylvester who did this jump. 
there were three cameras running and only one of them caught the action. Now, some of the articles say that two caught the action, but I think most of it is one camera caught the action and it was down to one take. They had to wait for the weather to clear and everything else, the wind and everything to be perfectly right. So they did this whole thing in one take. Can you imagine if none of the cameras got that shot? They would have had to do the jump again. Uh, I mean, this it's a really high-risk jump, and you wouldn't want to have done that jump twice. (laughs) Now, I think they were there 10 days waiting for the weather and the right conditions and everything else. Well, this guy, Rick Sylvester, got paid $30,000 for this stunt, which, you know, back in 1977, that was a pretty decent amount of money. It's not enough for me to try to do that. (laughs) But the team found this guy, Rick Sylvester, through a print ad for a Canadian club whiskey. And it pictured a skier who had just skied off Mount Asgard and was deploying a parachute. Oh, how about that for an idea? Great, the 007 team thought. Let's get him. It turned out, according to the 007 team, that the ad really was not an action shot of Rick really skiing off of the mountain. But Rick told him that, hey, I think I can really do this. <laughs> it's like, okay. Well, it was, it was a nice tie for Can- Canadian Club because they were saying it was the Asgard Peak, which is in Canada. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. The, it was really shot, though, at El Capitan in Yosemite National Park in California in the U.S. I'm talking about the whiskey ad, not the, the whiskey ad. Right, right, right. Now, Stephen J. Rubin, who we've had, uh, we, who we've done a podcast with, yeah. he's got the James Bond mo- movie encyclopedia. We've taken that content and put it into our SpyMDB database on our Spy Movie Navigator website. He interviewed Rick Sylvester, and he talked about the reasons the Asgard Peak was used. And the first reason was that they needed to have a 90-degree ledge Mm. because once you ski off the edge, there's not much horizontal movement. You're just falling. Yeah. And so it's it's really a drop. If you think about... We're, you know, we're just going through the Olympics and the people who are, sky, who are uh, diving from the, the, the high dive boards, mm-hmm. right? Their movement is down. It's not out. Yeah, yeah. Right? And this is just on a grander scale. Yeah. Right? So you got to have enough room for a shoot. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So the second reason that they had to use this was that there had to be skiable snow all the way to the edge. So when they do that shot where they pull back and you see yeah. Bond skiing towards the edge, you needed to have that area to be able to pick up the speed. And you also then had to have a high enough drop so that Rick could get the skis <laughs> off, deploy a chute, and deal with any issues along the way. <laughs> and he needed to then have a suitable landing area and, as Dan mentioned, favorable wind conditions. Yeah. And on that day, Asgard met all of those conditions. Wow. Now, yeah. in, in Stephen J. Rubin's book, The James Bond Movie Encyclopedia, he has an excellent discussion about this jump that goes in a lot more details than what I'm doing here, yeah. including more parts of his interview with Rick Sylvester. Yeah, great book. It's a fantastic read, and it really does a great job of enveloping the reader into this jump. Yeah. So again, we like Tom said, we have a Stephen J. Rubin's encyclopedia loaded into our searchable database on our website, of course, with Stephen's permission. <laughs> so check it out and check out our spy MDB. That's what we call it. Search for Asgard. You'll see a lot of stuff on that, too. Cool. Now, this scene in The Spy Who Loved Me is one of the most memorable of any of the Bond movies. Rick also performed stunts in For Your Eyes Only, where he portrayed Bond slipping down his climbing ropes at Meteoria Mountains in Greece. Ah. 
And from the parachute deployment, we get a wonderful transition to the title sequence by a couple of hands coming together and seemingly holding the parachute and the jumper, a symbol to us that all is safe. Yeah, I love that. It's like cradling it and bringing it down, thinking everything is going to be fine. Bond is okay. (laughs) I love it. It's great stuff. Mm. All right. That's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri, Tom Pizzotto, and Vicky Hodges of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Please subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, right now through your favorite podcast app. Tell a friend about our show. Give us a five-star rating. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.